Good evening, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19, that's where we'll start. I wanted to get through it last week, but we didn't quite get there. Um, It's a rough chapter um, in the sense that we're going to have Sodom and Gomorrah, we're going to have pillars of salt, um, and then we're going to have the Moabites and the Ammonites starting their genealogy tonight. So, I mean, it's a it's an interesting chapter for us. We learn a lot about the character of God, though. We learn a lot about judgment. We learn a lot about love, his heart, his desire. We are only 19 chapters into the beginning of the world. Understand that we're still in the first book of the Bible of 66. And we're already having our second episode of God's wrath. The first episode was with Noah, where he wiped out all of the earth except for the eight on the boat. This time, He's going to wipe out an entire valley because sin has crept in and and become so prevalent that it's necessary to cleanse it so that it doesn't spread. And please understand, that's what it is. That's what's happening here is when God pours out his wrath, it's it's a cleansing that takes place um, so that it doesn't spread. Like a rabid dog, we got to put him out or, or whatever so that he doesn't spread it to the other animals and so on. And that's the idea behind this. Um, A scripture I wanted to read before we started into chapter 19. Um, It comes out of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter, where did I I put it here? I added. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 26. Jesus is speaking of the last days, what we're waiting for, his second return. He says, and as it was in the days of Noah, which we just spoke of, So it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed." Now, he tells us these things to give us a heads up. When we see things begin to look like Noah's day, I mean, I know know we're not all idiots here, and I don't need to say this, but I'm going to anyway. When when it begins to look like Noah's day, when it begins to look like in the days of Lot, we need to start looking up for our redemption draws near. Jesus is coming back. And as we go through this chapter 19, as this should be a very easy chapter to teach, very understandable. Growing up in a mainline denomination, I know that this was, when I first read it, completely foreign to me. For 19 years, I grew up in a mainline denomination and was never taught things like this. I was taught everything else that had to do with nothing of the Bible, but everything with the religion that I was being brought up with, with the denomination that I was being brought up in, but had nothing to do. I didn't learn scripture. I didn't have a foundation. I only knew of the rituals that went along with being this mainline denomination. I never knew of these passages. So when I got born again, when I received Christ as my Lord and Savior, when I got saved for the first time, in other words, I wasn't saved for 19 years in that mainline denomination, was never told I needed to be born again. When I became born again and I began to read God's word for the first time with eyes wide open, with the Holy Spirit in me, teaching me and leading me and guiding me into all truth, I mean, to say I was shocked is an understatement. Some of the things I didn't know were wrong. And that's the key. That's the key for everybody to understand chapter 19 and every other scripture in the Bible that talks about sin The Bible is designed, the Word of God is designed, the law is designed to bring us to a place where we need a Savior, to where we understand we need Jesus. If we begin to remove sin out of Scripture, saying this is okay, that is okay, that was cultural, this doesn't apply anymore, eventually we erase the need for a Savior, and we erase the need for Jesus Christ. Why? Do I need a Savior? What was the purpose of the cross if it wasn't to die for sins? And if so, what were those sins? I want to know. And so the scripture is here to tell us these things and to show us these things. 
So that is a good base to start off with as we get into chapter 19, because it is becoming culturally difficult to read this out loud in public, unfortunately. It's difficult for people to receive it because we've been so conditioned. And that's how Satan works, slowly but surely conditioning us to believe that this is okay and that is okay. That was the conversation with Eve in the very beginning. God said, I don't want you to eat of this tree. It's not an unreasonable request. I've given you thousands of different trees, plants, everything else. Feel free. One of them was the tree of life. Gives you eternal life. You can even eat of that one if you want to. But this one tree that I planted here, I don't want you to eat of this one. It's the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to eat that. So which tree do they stand under? The one. And that's where the conversation begins. It's intriguing. For some reason, sin is intriguing to us. We like to look into it a little bit. We like to step a little bit closer and kind of, what, what is that over there? I mean, every parent knows this about their toddler, right? You tell them no, what do they do? They go over to it. Why, why, why no? I mean, what's wrong with this thing? Because it's hot, hot. Like how hot? Well, don't touch it or you're going to find out the hard way how hot. So don't touch it. You know what's next, right? Sin is intriguing to us because that knowledge of good and evil is built into us when we're born, unfortunately. We inherited that from Adam and Eve. And so the curiosity, which kills the cat, by the way, causes us and draws us into sin. And so we have a heavenly father who is continually, as we sang tonight, trying to draw us back to him. Stay over here. Trust me, the boundaries I've placed are for a reason. I'm not just saying this because I mean, because I don't want you to have fun, because it is going to hurt you. When as a child, I have to decide, will I be obedient to my dad or will I be disobedient to my dad and find out for myself? And I have free will to do that. I have the freedom to do that. So Sodom and Gomorrah have, and all the other cities that are unnamed in this valley have been experimenting beyond just looking into sin. They've gone to the place of depravity we're going to read tonight, and it has corrupted Lot and his family so much so that even Lot doesn't quite recognize how much it has affected his family, him just being around it. We know last week we studied that it says that that righteous man Lot describes him that way. That righteous man Lot was vexed by the sins around him. And yet we see some characteristics of Lot tonight that are going to just be like, what? Who thinks like that? He does. He doesn't even know it's not normal to do what he's about to do. He doesn't even think that it's bizarre. It's just, well, I mean, it's either this or this. So obviously we're going to do this and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're all going to be a little surprised at why God would call Lot a righteous man and yet does. But it also shows me how I can be desensitized. If Lot can do these things, and not even understand it and still be called a righteous man. How desensitized am I to the sin that I am in, engulfed in? And we are engulfed. It's around us. Verse 1 of chapter 19. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. You remember the story. God and two angels had showed up at Abraham's tent. Abraham stops God. The two angels go on to do what they've been called to do to have eyewitness account of the sin of Sodom before they bring wrath to it. And Abraham stops him and says, no, wait a minute. What if there's 50 righteous? What if there's all the way down to 10 righteous? He says, fine. If there's 10, I won't. I'll spare it. Teaching us that God does not punish the righteous with the wicked right away. Establishes us and gets us there. So that's why we know we're not going through the great tribulation. The great tribulation period is a time of God's wrath for seven years being poured out in a Christ-rejecting world, and we will be taken out of here. We will be removed from that. We're not destined for that. Neither was Sodom, neither was, um, neither was Noah. And so these two angels have gone on, and now we pick up the story as God is left back talking to Abraham. The two angels come into Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. This would mean several things. Um, it was a place of importance. It was where judgments would be done, business transactions. It was basically a courtroom 
where you could sign contracts and do these things. And so he was sitting there. Remember how it started. Lot, where do you want to live? Our, our flocks are too many to dwell together, Abraham would say to him. Do you want to go down there? Or do you want to stay up here? Whichever you choose, I'll go the opposite way. And he saw that beautiful fertile ground down in the valley where Sodom and Gomorrah were. And he says, I'll go down there because that looks really great for business sake. And he pitched his tent, it says, towards Sodom. Where do we find him now? Years later. He's sitting at the gates of Sodom. He's there. He's no longer pitched his tent towards it. He's now living in it. Sin is incremental. Just slowly but surely reels the sin. Well, I mean, what's the purpose of living in a tent? I mean, we've made enough money. We could buy a house and we're already doing business there. Most of my business contacts are there. I mean, and maybe if I'm in politics, maybe I could change some things in Sodom. Maybe I could get in there and do something about it. So here we see him sitting at the gate. When Lot saw them, these two angels coming in, he arose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. Now he knows something, right? He didn't ask them what they were there for. He didn't ask them how long they were staying. He didn't know if they were just moving, passing through. He says, hey, come and stay in my house. And then right away in the morning before anybody else wakes up, why don't you guys get on your way? I'll feed you, give you a bath. He's trying to protect them. It's right off. It's obvious right off the bat. Now, here's what the angels say. They said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. See, these guys have come down with a purpose. I want to see if it's okay to stay in the open air tonight. We're going to lay down right here. Now, if you know anything about angels, they're not people you want to mess with. And I call them people because they're created beings like we are, but they're not people. One angel kills 148,000 people in the scriptures, not even a battle. So two walk in because we need two witnesses, correct? They come in and say, no, we're going to spend the night out in the open square. This is bait. We want to see if it's okay. But Lot, he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city and the men of sorry, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. And it's exactly what you think. Bring them out. Fresh meat, basically. The decline of any civilization, and we've read this out of Romans 1, verses 18 through 32, but I'll read it again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, 
boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That's the decline. That was the setup for Noah. That's the setup for Lot. That's the setup for the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is what it's going to look like right before Christ comes. We need to make sure in our minds and in our hearts, we're on the right side of the fence here. You understand what we're here for, why we're here. That we get it in our hearts that to stand up for God is not going to be easy in the last days. To stand up for righteousness, to stand up for his word is not going to be easy. It's going to be harder and harder and harder. Right now, we've got a little bit of a break. There's some religious freedom right now that we've been given, eight years probably. Maybe more. Who knows? It's up to God. He's the one that puts people in power, really not us. But he's given us a break for a little bit. And it seems to be going the right way. The pendulum seems to have swung the correct way in the sense that we're able to freely worship and talk about Jesus and say Merry Christmas and all these things. But please understand, don't be duped. We're not staying in this direction. This is going to swing the other way. Scripture is true. Before Christ comes, we're going to go clear over to the other side where anybody who believes that or teaches that or speaks that out loud will be either martyred, put in prison, tortured. That's where we're headed. It's not going to be easier. It's going to be harder. Reading these things is... Interesting, to say the least. Bring them out. This is before the law. Understand that, that Genesis 19 has happened before Moses receives the law of God, before Leviticus, before Deuteronomy, before any of these things. But here's where we're headed. Leviticus 18, verses 20 through 25 says this, Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. Adultery. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Moloch, abortion. Nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these things the nations are defiled which I am casting out from before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. All those things we just mentioned in that scripture are punishable by death according to the law. Now, thank goodness, we have Jesus Christ. But please understand, that law was written to show us what is wrong And what we need to change and what we need to ask for forgiveness from, what we need the cross for, why we needed a Savior. To take away any of these things or all of these things is to diminish the purpose of the cross, to take away the need for a Savior. You don't need a Savior. There is no sin. Truth is relative. That's your truth. That's not my truth. Well, no, it isn't. That's why God's word stands. I've magnified my word above my name, he says. Because this is the standard. All those arguments are foolish, and we don't have time to get into them, but to say that truth is relative is an actual truth statement, so therefore it's relative and not true. What? I mean, no, it's all about control. It's all about that same conversation that happened at the foot of a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It will never change. His tactics never change. It's always the same. Did God really say he's only keeping you from that because he doesn't want you to be like him? And it's up to us to decide who we're going to listen to. We either have Satan as our father or we have God as our father. It's the same. So Lot went out to them, this rape gang outside his house, through the doorway shut the door behind him and said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. He just called it sin. Good for him. Imagine that was an uncomfortable conversation. Look how he switches, though. I don't mean to laugh, but it's just bizarre. 
And I think we'll all agree. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you that you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. I grew up 19 years never reading stuff like this. And when I read that, I'm like, okay, who thinks this is okay? What kind of guy brings in two strangers, wants to protect them as being a hospitable host? Good for you, like that part, but then says, but I've got these two young girls. Why don't you take them for the night? It, it, I mean, it's mind-boggling to me. You know why it is, though? Because we have Christ. Now, there are unbelievers who will definitely say, no, that's mind-blowing to me too. Christ doesn't need to be in my heart for me to know that that was absolutely crazy for him to do that. He's been sitting here long enough. He's been living here long enough. He lives in a culture where women are treated like cattle. Part of the reason he's at the gate is because they're out planting, threshing, harvesting, making food, and they're sitting at the gate, you know, talking about the weather or whatever. I mean, they're really, really, really far gone. Really far gone to where women are just property. And that's what dad thinks of his daughters here. Now, these two daughters we're going to discover later on in this story, this same chapter. And it's no wonder they do what they're going to do. It's no wonder they think the way they think. They've grown up in a household where dad thinks this of them. Now, none of us are even close to this. Thank goodness, right? I mean, I don't, I, don't raise your hand. I, but none of us are here. But as a dad, living in a culture of sin like I do, being a pastor, reading God's word, worshiping, sometimes I wonder how affected I am that I don't realize how affected I am by the world around me, by the Sodom that I sit in. I mean, I'm not here but what else do my kids watch me do and then go off and do because they never saw me stand up for righteousness in that area? You know, it's a fair question. That's when you ask God, please search me and know me. I want to know. I want to know what I don't see. I want to see my blind spots. I want to see the sin in my life that everybody else seems to see or definitely you see, but I don't see. Because I don't want my daughters walking off like these two girls are going to walk off. Thinking, eh. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 12 tell us this. As Christians, Paul writing to a Christian church filled with the Holy Spirit has to write this to them. First generation church. First century church. Get it? I know. I hope we're there. Jesus isn't barely, you know, raised at this point. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Paul has to write to them and says, no, 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 you were saved from that stuff. Don't do that anymore. He literally has to write to this spirit-filled church to tell them to stop being fornicators, to stop being idolaters, to stop being adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. This is in the church in the first century. You know, people that complain and say, well, I thought the church was supposed to be better than this. We've never been better than that. We've always had to be told and taught, this is bad, this is wrong. Don't you, do I need to remind you of these things, Paul says? Don't you know? And they had, to, they had to read this. They had to say, oh, but here's the key. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. In other words, you've been brought out of that. Even if you were that before, you're not that anymore in Christ. Even if that was your practice, even if that was your culture, even if that was your whatever, 
You're not that anymore. I think that's a big thing for missionaries to get in their hearts too when they go someplace. I don't care what your culture is. I don't need to assimilate to your culture. We need to assimilate to the culture of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. We all have a new culture we all need to learn. Americans need to learn a new culture, heaven. Africans need to learn a new culture, heaven. Because that's where we're spending eternity. That's what it's going to look like with Christ ruling and reigning on the earth. What is that culture? And that's what I want to look like. And so all these things are up for grabs. All of them. To be changed and transformed into the image of Christ is the purpose. And I have to understand that, first of all, I'm not there yet. None of us are. And he's gently taking me like, like a dad takes a child, slowly but surely teaching me how to crawl, roll over first, then crawl, then walk, then run, then become better and better and better as I go along. And I understand that. Now, I don't know what stage I'm in. I'd like to think I'm to the walking part at least. But you never know. Only God does. But he's always coaching. He's always fathering. He's always bringing us closer. So when I read something new, when I get something from Scripture, and I'm like, no, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I'm not going to receive that. You know, kids had a, they're swimming. They swim at Clorinda, the two little ones do. We go up there four times a week and they swim and, and Bo needs that. Because <laughs> if he doesn't go to swimming, he's, he's bouncing off the walls and the, you know, he, please go to swimming. So yesterday was drag day. And if you've ever been a swimmer, you know what that means. It means you wear clothes while you're swimming, give you some drag. It's like the runners that wear the parachutes on the back, so to speak. You know, when you see them running, maybe you've never seen that before. They have parachutes and they run with parachutes to give them some resistance, obviously. So it's drag day. Oh, man, they were, they were really excited about getting in the pool with their clothes on. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Someone who's been through drag day knows it isn't fun. Nothing feels right. You feel like you're drowning the whole time and you're throwing these long sleeve shirts and you're wearing sweatpants and you're trying to swim and it's miserable. But boy, when you take off that junk and you dive in, you feel naked as a jaybird. You know what I mean? You dive in, you're like, and you're like, this is great. I feel like a dolphin, you know? And that's the idea behind it. You feel crazy fast. Slick, smooth, like this is the way it's supposed to be. That wasn't right. This is this is awesome. I don't think we realize what it's going to be like when we are clothed with righteousness in the sense that we are clothed like Adam and Eve were clothed before they ate of the fruit, clothed with light, clothed with the righteousness of God, living in a, in a habitat designed for optimal use of these, well, we're going to have new bodies, but these crazy new bodies we're going to have, you know. We don't realize how much sin is a drag on us until it's shed. God's trying to make sure that this doesn't spread. He sent his two witnesses down. Lot has inserted himself into this. The angels have allowed it to happen. And now he's out there saying, hey, what about my two daughters? That's when the angels step in. Thank goodness they're there. And they say, stand back. Then they said, this one came, or this is what, we got a few things we need to say here first before they step in. The mob says, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. So in other words, he's trying to do his best to bring righteousness to Sodom. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men, the angels, reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. I'm pausing there for a minute. What would happen to you if you got struck with blindness? What would you do? You'd freak out. And you'd, you'd, you'd try to get healed. You'd try to do, these guys are still reaching for the door. They're still trying to get to these people. I don't care if I'm blind or not. That's how ravenous this is. That's how crazy this is. The situation is out of control. Thank goodness for those angels being there, pulling them in, pulling them in. First of all, don't offer up your daughters, moron. Now, they didn't say that. That's me adding that as a, I'm acting as a judge over him right now. But, I mean, come on. 
They pull him in the door, saving him again. Some scriptures, and we'll get through this, but we got to take the time to read it. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 2 through 3, I don't know that Lot has an understanding of this yet, but it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. It's a really cool verse. They're among us. Incognito, apparently. And sometimes you'll entertain a stranger and in the process not even realize it, but you've actually been hospitable to someone who's testing it. Testing out your hospitality, you know. Someone on the side of the road that you stopped to help. Oh, there's no big deal. I just stopped to help. No, this is a bigger deal than you know, dude. But he doesn't say that out loud or she doesn't say that out loud, you know. Lot doesn't even know it, but the hospitality he's showing these guys, the protection is actually going to help him. So they reach out and pull him in. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it goes along with women being set free by Jesus Christ from the ridiculous culture that they're living in right here in this Old Testament. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no pecking order. There's no level. Adam and Eve were together side by side in the garden until they ate. And ever since then, women have gone lower and lower and lower and lower. And some justified it by saying, well, that's because they couldn't be trusted. The last time we let a woman pick where we were going to eat, Ha, 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 that's a terrible joke. And so men have been dominating and domineering and pressing and pushing more and more and more. And I'm not saying we don't have different roles. Of course we do. We have different responsibilities, but completely equal in God's eyes. Absolutely equal. We need to have that understanding. Absolutely equal. Just as there is no more Jew, just as there is no more Greek, God sees them to save. The difference is now in this world, there are lost and there are saved. There are people going to hell and there are people who are going to heaven. And the heaven going folk aren't better than the hell going folk. They've just received the free grace of God is the difference. Just as guilty as this group over here, but have accepted the rope to get out of the pit. They've accepted the salvation. They've accepted what Christ has done, but equally guilty before the Lord as far as sin goes. No more Jew, no more Greek, no more slave, no more free, no more male, no more female. None of this pecking order, Paul says to the Galatians. Get that out of your crazy cultural mind, Galatians. None of that exists anymore. There is Jesus followers and there are unfollowers, and those are the folks we minister to and serve the most so that they become believers in Jesus Christ, like we are, saved like we are. With love, we share that. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, speaks of what is not mentioned here about Lot. When they say to him, you've been acting like a judge since you got here, Peter elaborates on that, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them example to those who afterward would live ungodly. In other words, they, what we're about to read, is an example for us who would choose to live ungodly. This is what happens. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. That's how Peter describes Lot living in Sodom. It's hard for us to receive that from Peter as we just read that he offered up his virgin daughters to these rape gang, you know. But that's how unaware he is, completely unaware he is of how deep into sin how much he's been, but he was the righteous guy, the most righteous guy you could find in that city. The closest to God was Lot, okay? Psalm 1-1, so warning to us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That's that incremental step towards living in sin. 
It starts off with listening to the counsel of the ungodly. Someone who doesn't trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation, giving you advice, and you following it is foolish. It's foolish. You begin to think like they do. You begin to think like an ungodly person. And pretty soon, instead of walking in the counsel of the ungodly, you find yourself standing in the path of sinners. Now you're among them, like Peter, around the fire. Remember the fire when Jesus was being crucified or being tried and he's standing around the fire and they said, you were one of those disciples too. He says, no. And that's when he denied him three times, walking in the counsel of the ungodly, standing in the path of sinners until finally you find yourself seated in the seat of the scornful and you begin to mock like everybody else does, like all the unbelievers do. It's something we have to keep ourselves from as Christians. Staying in shape is hard spiritually something you have to do. If we stop, if we neglect our spiritual health, we will become out of shape. We will become sedentary, um, weak, will succumb, undisciplined, and we find ourselves doing exactly what God delivered us from. We fall into it again or let it happen to us again. Let's finish this up. We'll get going here. They're still trying to find the door. Then the men of then the men said to Lot, "Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out uh, um, of this place!" Exclamation point. So they're yelling at him now. These guys have taken command of the situation. Look, we're going to do this. This is done. We've got the witness. All we, this is all we needed. This is what we're waiting for. We knew this was going to happen. We were out there, and here we are inside of your house, and they're still coming at us. Judgment. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters. These are the other daughters that have already left the house besides the two that he's got. And said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his son-in-laws, he seemed to be joking. In other words, they didn't believe him and they didn't follow him out. See, Lot had the benefit of growing up under Abraham. I don't know that Lot ever had a true faith, but he had enough of an understanding of faith by watching his uncle, Abraham, live out a life following after God. And just through osmosis, sitting next to him, received some of that blessing. His flocks were blessed, his herds were blessed, but for the most part, it was because he was with his uncle. And he had enough of an understanding and enough of a confidence in God that he thought he could pitch his tent towards Sodom. He thought maybe he could live in Sodom, that he had enough intestinal fortitude spiritually to handle this kind of pressure. We can do this. We can live in Sodom and we can make this work. We'll still live for God. We'll still do all these things. But what he didn't take into account was his kids didn't have that. His kids were going off of their dad's walk with the Lord. Just like Lot was going off of Abraham's walk with the Lord. And because Lot was willing to compromise in all these areas, the kids learned right away, compromise. On Sunday, we talked about how, well, maybe it was even last week, we talked about how the the field and the farmers and how they got to take out the first ones, had to move the stumps, had to remove the rocks out of the field so that we can now have a wonderful time. And that's a progression. And we love to pass it on to the next kids. Spiritually speaking, I'm going to stand up for Christ, the first one in my family to ever do it. You know, and now my kids have watched me stand for Christ and they're going to stand even stronger for Christ because they've watched me do it. And my next generation, the grandkids, they're really going to stand for Christ. But there's another pathway that it can go. It can go the opposite direction also. Abraham stood for God, stood for righteousness, walked that way. Lot stepped a little bit further away and his kids are now completely away from God. We have to be very careful where we're leading our kids where we're leading anybody watching us, anybody we've been trying to witness to, anybody we've been trying to tell about Jesus, you know? I want to be like Abraham. I don't want to be like Lot. I don't want it that way. I'm going to go that way with the Lord. Have you anybody else here? Yeah, I do. I've got these son-in-laws. Well, go get them because it's about to rain. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah, right, they said. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, 
The men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of the two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him aside outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. It's going to get hot. They had to drag him out of the city. Well, you know, reluctant. God has just told us that before Jesus comes again, it's going to look just like this. And I do not understand it when we as Christians are reluctant to walk away from our sin. I don't know. It's so much. I've always done that. It's always been, everybody in the world does it. Lot's wife is actually going to turn around and start walking back towards Sodom and she's going to turn into a pillar of salt. Spoiler alert. We're being warned tonight flat out being warned. Nobody's walking away from this Bible study saying, well, I didn't know it was going to get that bad. No, we all know tonight. Now, will we run to the mountains or will we linger in our sin? They linger to the point where these guys have to grab them and yank them out of the city. Now go run, shoo. And there they go. Walking out of the valley. And Lot said to them, please know my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and die. Really, dude? You're afraid of the mountains? There might be something up there. No, there's going to be something down here. But to have lava come down on your head, dude. No, I'm worried about those mountains. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. Oh, man, that describes me to a T. I want you to get out of this. Completely remove this from your life. Never, I got it, I got it, I got it. It's really bad for me, but there's a, there's, there's a little over here. It's not as much as I was, but there's a little bit over here. Is that okay? I mean, it's a little, it's a little thing. It's not a major thing. I don't know why I try to argue with God when he tries to save me from stuff, but there I am. It's just a a little bit. And he said to him, see, I have favor or favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Fine, go to the little city. At least it's not the big city. Even the angels are like in a hurry. And look what they said. We cannot do anything until you're gone. God's wrath will not be poured out in this world until we are gone. I cannot do anything. The righteous will not be punished with the wicked. You've got to get out of here so that we can do it. Therefore, the name of that city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So we overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back. Now the word there is translated look back. We get this idea that she looked over her shoulder like you're not supposed to look at Medusa or you'll turn into stone or something like that. That's not the case. This actually means she actually paused, hesitated, and started to walk back. It's called backsliding. It's called turning around and walking towards it. Because God said, get out of here. And she understood that and she walked away from it, but turned back to it. I have to be careful about these things that God delivers me from. So what if I've been delivered from it for 20 years? So what if I've been delivered from it for 50 years? Don't go back to it. You go back to it, it'll kill you. Some things God delivered me from right away. One of them was alcohol. Some of you can drink alcohol. I can't. Can't. Mainly because God told me not to. And as a pastor, I'm not supposed to anyway. I need to be ready to be able to minister anytime, anywhere. If I'm under the influence of something else and I'm not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, I can't minister to you. And so I needed to pay attention to that right away as my family has a hard time with alcohol. We've got a history of it. And although they can do it and still do it in some cases, God told me, you need to walk away from that. You need to walk. I can't look back at that. That's something I can't. That'll kill me. That'll kill this ministry or as far as my involvement in it. It'll kill my family. And so I've raised up my kids in such a way that maybe the rest of the world does dabble in it. Maybe they do. But you know what? We're not going to. None of you are. 
And here's why. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not passing judgment. Please don't understand me or misunderstand me. Of course, Jesus made water into wine. They celebrated. They had a great time. Whatever. That's between you and the Lord. But as far as me, that was something I cannot turn back to. And so I'm going to raise my kids up in such a way that that is not good. It's bad. Here's the scriptures behind it. It's not worthy of a king to be drunk like that. It's not worthy of anybody. A priest for sure shouldn't be drunk like that. None of that. The person who gets that stuff, that's for someone who's wallowing in their sorrows. Let them drink the wine, the Bible says. Scripture after scripture teaches us that. So I train my kids up in that because genetically, we have problems. Now, if they go off as adults and decide to dabble in it, I have a clear conscience. I raise them up in the way that they should go. And they've been warned to touch that stuff, but there's no way that I taught them to sit in Sodom and trust their own abilities to be able to withstand the temptations that are going to confront them. No, no. when God says run from sin, you run from sin. Don't stand there and say, I can take it. I can take it. No, nobody's that tough. When God says run, then you run. Now, if God says stand, then you stand like David. But when he says run, run, run out of here. I can't do anything till you get there. So they do rains down. Now look what happens. His wife looks back and she becomes a pillar of salt. And Abraham, look at this, went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow And he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Did you catch that? It was for the sake of Abraham that Lot got delivered. It really wasn't for Lot's sake. God remembered Abraham and delivered Lot. I think I had some pretty good praying parents who learned, you know, to pray for me. And I wonder how many times I was delivered from all this kind of stuff as I was growing up in high school and doing all sorts of things that never probably good. Well, I'd probably tell you, but if you ask, but because of those praying parents, Abraham, his love for Lot going after him beforehand and bringing him out after those armies kidnapped him and all God remembered that verse 30. Then Lot went out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains. <laughs> he didn't, he left that little city. Well, there's my wife. She's salt. And I've just made it past the entire inferno, you know. So he does end up going to the mountains, realizing that Zoar is probably not as safe as he thought it was, and the mountains were a little bit better. And his two daughters were with him. For he, Here's weird story number two. For he was afraid to dwell in Zoar, and he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth. They thought the whole earth had been destroyed like Noah. I mean, that's all they can see. As far as they can see is black smoke. Oh my goodness. Here we are. Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. We will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And you go in and lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Now you know why I didn't learn this stuff in my mainline denomination. Can you imagine this, the, the coloring page for this in Sunday school? Or even my pastor saying up and watching the ladies in the back row faint kind of stuff. I mean, just, just you didn't talk about this. Well, here we go. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both of the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. And they are some pretty wicked people, a group. Now, here's where we close. Last thing. The Moabites are now birthed. 
don't know if you've ever made this connection before, obviously, but much, much later on in the story, Ruth is going to come in. Ruth is a Moabitess. Abraham's going to have Isaac. Isaac's going to have Jacob all the way through until we get to him having somewhere along the line a man named Boaz. And over here from the Moabites, from this lot, this righteous man lot, this Moabitess is going to come in and she's going to marry this guy. And she's a Moabitess. She's not an Israeli, right? And so Boaz and, and Ruth are going to have a baby and his name is Obed. And he is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Okay. God can do anything out of all of this ugliness that we just read tonight. Please understand there is there's a path that God can make for, and he can work it out. And he does. If you don't think that God can work out your life for good, we just read a story that proves otherwise. He can. All you got to do is follow him. Walk with him. Now, some of you are. You're walking with him. All right. We sit in Sodom. We sit there. I don't know if we need to move or not. I don't think I'm ready to build a commune someplace in the jungle, and, you know, but we do need to stay close to the Lord and recognize the fact that we can be corrupted if we're not careful to not compromise in our, in our life, in our walk with the Lord, to maintain that spiritual health. Please keep reading the word of God, trusting in the Lord, praying, seeking the Lord, singing. Don't let the world, and it will, try to convince you to walk away, to compromise, to be more like it, to look more like it, to make them feel less convicted by your walk with Jesus. Walk strong. Lord, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these tough chapter, God. Ugly. But we're so glad that, well, we're so glad you're in charge. We're so glad that you see these things, that you're bringing in conviction, that you love us so much, that you're willing to hear the truth, Lord, that you wrote down these tough chapters. And Lord, help us not to be afraid of these things. As Christians, help us to read all of God's word, all of your counsel, to believe all of it, because it's from love that you wrote this to us, to save us, to protect us as an example, to lead us away from harmful sin and what it does to us and what it does to those around us, God. Help us to believe you when you say something sin. Help us to run from it, to not dabble, to not find a Zoar in our lives, but God, to move and get to those mountains that we need to, that that high place, Lord, not in self-righteousness, but in your direction and humility, climb that mountain and sit there and stay with you. Thank you for these folks. Thank you for our kids, the Sunday school workers that are taking, or the Wednesday school teachers that are teaching them your word. We thank you for them all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.